Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Reese's Film Reviews, where I talk about, review, and score movies across all genres. Movies that I haven't seen at all or haven't seen for in a long time. At the end of the review, movies may receive any of the two awards. The first is the coveted Golden Peanut Butter Cup, for movies that score an 8 or above on a scale from 1 to 10. These are elite movies with excellent writing, characters, set designs, and cinematography, topped off with superb acting. The creme de la creme. The second award goes to movies that may not be objectively great, but hold a special place in our hearts and you can find anyone of any background watching them. These are certified hood classics. Now, if you never heard of the term certified hood classic, then you've been on the wrong side of the internet. Certified hood classic is just an internet expression to label legendary pieces of media that you can find being enjoyed by the most gangster of all gangsters. Now enough of my ramblings, let's get into the first movie, Hello My Name is Doris. Hello, My Name is Doris is a 2015 rom-com directed by Michael Showalter, starring Sally Field as Doris and Max Greenfield as John, her love interest. Now, before I get into the cast listing for this movie, uh, I realized that pro football player Namdi Asamoa was in it. Now, for those who don't know, Namdi Asamoa was a, he was, was a former pro football player. He played for the Oakland Raiders, Philadelphia Eagles, and the San Francisco 49ers. And he started acting, I think, what, at the end of his career, somewhere like that. And he married to Kerry Washington, so he's got connections in Hollywood. And I was going through his works, and I see this movie called Fire with Fire. It is a 2012 action thriller film starring Josh Dumel, Bruce Willis, v Vincent... Donofrey? I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, he's Wilson Fisk from Daredevil, the TV series, and he's also in another movie I like called Mystic Pizza. Also has Rosario Dawson, and it's produced by 50 Cent. So I'm really interested into the. I'm really interested in this movie. I don't know if I'm going to watch it on this podcast, but it's definitely going on the list of movies that I need to watch. So if you are a viewer from the future and have made this episode, then go check it out after this. So back to Hello, My Name is Doris. Uh, it's got a really nice cast. I like everybody that's in it. It has uh, Wendy McLendon Covey. She's the mother from the Goldbergs. It has uh, Kumail Nanjani. Um, I definitely butchered his name. I'm sorry. Also with Peter Gallagher and Natasha Lyonne. She, I th at first I thought she was... Oh, sorry, Natasha Lyonne. She's from Orange is the New Black. I thought she was Coco, the RA from... Zoe 101, the one with the little raspy voice, and she used, like likes eating ravioli out of a can, I think. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I watched that. But it turns out that that actress who played Coco is in this movie, too. And she plays one of uh, John's friends at his Thanksgiving, partner, at his Thanksgiving party uh, alongside Namdi Asama. That's, uh, his character is one of his friends in the background. And... One of the members from the band Fun also makes an appearance in this movie. Uh, I haven't listened to their music since the last time they were popular, but I really like that band, so seeing him in here, uh, it, was, it was really nice. But all in all, I really like this cast. Uh, there are some phenomenal actors, and, do, and they do a great job in this movie. Uh, except for some of the uh, office interaction scenes, scenes, I thought they were kind of forced. And, you know, I didn't really see the chemistry between the actors there, but I think that's my only complaint with the cast for this movie. 
So this movie did a really good job in establishing the rapport and chemistry between our two main characters. We see Doris, this timid, shy, and eccentric 60-year-old woman, pursue her new co-worker, John, who's this you know, young, charismatic corporate figurehead. Uh, after Doris attends this uh, this little this motivational seminar where we see Peter Gallagher's character give Doris some really good advice, so she decides to pursue her interest in her new co-worker. The early interactions between Doris and John are really awkward as Doris hasn't completely gotten out of her shell yet and really struggles to flirt with to flirt with John. And Sally Field does a really good job in portraying this awkward woman as we see Doris get into these like daydreams slash fantasies like in the in the middle of the day walking down the hall she sees john and she just freezes and has this daydream of them like making out or whatever but when the camera cuts to uh doris in real life she looks like a fucking crackhead who's just you know, wildly staring out in the distance mouth all open slumped in this weird position kind of just frozen in the middle of the <laughs> like in the middle of the office and the, the those uh, first scenes are really funny and it just shows uh, how far away Doris is from really trying to you know interact with him so she employs the help of her best friend's granddaughter and they make a uh, fake little Facebook page for Doris and they use this random girl's picture from the internet because Doris doesn't want uh, John to know it's her and she uses this little made-up name and adds him on Facebook. The good thing is she doesn't really catfish him. Like, that, that's good. I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to see that in the movie, but she doesn't catfish him. She just use, has this fake profile page just to, just to stalk his information like normal people would. So Doris just uses this page to you know get the information of everything that John likes. And this is where we enter Act 2 of their relationship. Uh, Doris attends a concert of one of his favorite bands and they run into each other there and they you know they hit it off they enjoy each other's company they enjoy the music and the concert and the atmosphere and everything and we see this little montage of them you know hanging out you know during work you know talking during lunch breaks and everything hanging out outside of work and at the end of the montage we see uh, John take Doris back to I, I think she was taking the subway or something but he's just taking her home and they try to like they say goodbye but they accidentally all kiss on the lips and they kind of laugh it off like oh I, he's like oh i you know i got you there you know good night and everything and at this point doris is really infatuated with him she really likes him and we don't necessarily see the same thing from john we see john enjoy her company but not to the extent that doris does so for like the next week at work, John kind of gets a little distant and they don't really hang out. And that's because John actually gets a girlfriend and Doris discovers this. And this you know, really makes her upset. She thought that you know John was really liking her. So later that night, she gets wine drunk, like super wine drunk, and goes onto her fake Facebook page and posts this little uh, love uh heartbreak note on his on his on his uh, facebook profile and his girlfriend sees it the next day and questions them about it and they end up breaking up because john literally doesn't know anything about it and she thinks that he's talking to another girl and everything so they break up because of that 
and you know Doris feels horrible, but she can't outright tell him. And this is where we get to Act Three of their relationship. Uh, they were talking uh, later at the end of that week, uh, how they were just weren't uh, how the, he's been distant because he had his girlfriend, but now he's broken up, and you know he just wants company of his friends. So he invites her to the Thanksgiving party that he's throwing, and at the end of that conversation, John is like, "Hey, would you ever date a younger guy?" And Doris immediately says yes, and he's like, "Oh, great! I'll see you at the party." And she's thinking, "We're well, no, she's thinking, and I'm thinking, like, oh my god, they're actually gonna get together." And as she gets to the party, she's really excited. She brings this really cool pie that she made, and she, she gets there. John introduces her to all of his friends that are there, and then he introduces her to his uncle, who he intends to set her up with. And at the party, we don't act the part. Actually, at the party, we don't really see Doris and her uncle really interact much. I think that was on purpose. But he's really kind of just there as a background character. Whenever they all play uh, Never Have I Ever, he sits down next to her and he's just drinking a beer, you know, and laughing along with everybody. But there's no real like interaction between them because Doris doesn't want to get with his uncle, and she actually doesn't even see that he's there for her. So later in the party, she's super drunk and she asks John to go in the bedroom with her and she just confesses his love to him and he's really taken back. He didn't expect this and he was like, whoa, I'm sorry, I don't like you like that. Uh, and I thought we were just friends. And in uh, Doris's drunk ramblings, she uh, accidentally let, lets it slip that she was the one that... Uh, that posted that little heartbreak love note on his page that got him and his girlfriend broken up and that's when John got upset and that's they have this big argument and they really just kind of end their friendship there so Doris goes home super upset and she's talking to her best friend about it and you now the next morning when she wakes up she has this little epiphany that you know it's time for her to move on so uh, she employs the help of all of her you know, friends to start packing up her house, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that side story in a second. And, and she decides just to quit her job because she's been working there for a long time, and you know she ended her friendship with John, so she's just like, ah, I need to get out of here. So she packs up her stuff at the office, and we actually get to this really awkward scene with her and her uh, co-workers where they're kind of just picking shit from her uh, office that they want, like from her little cubicle that they want. And she's just like, here, take it, take all of it. I really don't care. And whenever Doris uh, says, her, says her goodbye, she gets around to John. And now that's whenever they you know, get together and apologize. She apologizes for, you know, breaking him and his girlfriend up. She didn't mean to, you know, hurt anybody. She just really wanted to you know get with them to know him she thought she was he was really cool and he apologizes for it uh, for leading her on he didn't know he, he didn't intend for her to catch feelings and all that so they kind of just leave on that note but as doris is entering the elevator to leave the building she has another daydream uh, and it's just a cliche wait hey wait up don't leave yet as we see john running out of his office and he just comes up to Doris and he's just like, hey, who says we can't make this work? And he just kisses her right then and there. And 
at that moment while I, while I was watching it, I was actually complaining that I wouldn't want this ending because it's just too story like school school story fit tale kind of ending wrapping it up all in a bow and as soon as I was saying that her daydream ends it comes back to reality and we see her just you know, looking at John through his office and he looks at her back and they smile Doris enters the elevator and right before the elevator door closes, that's when John actually comes out and was like, hey, wait up. And then it cuts to uh, the credits after that. So I think I, I actually really like that ending. I think I was speaking way too soon about how I wanted the story to end, but it ended really nicely. I, I liked it. You don't get complete closure on the relationship, but you get an idea of where it might go after John tries to uh, catch up with... Uh, Doris at the elevator and honestly I I I know honestly I really liked it. I really like that the ending to the to the movie and to their interaction. And I I really like the relationship between Doris and John. There's a real natural progression between both character developments and their uh and their relationship. And I have to commend Max Greenfield and Sally Field for their performances for the two characters because these are these are two people that you can actually that you can meet and see and talk to in real life and maybe you know some 20 something charismatic corporate guy and maybe you do know some 60 something year old timid woman who is who's been stuck in this life cycle like I, you know people like this so to see them have their own little love story in a way that actually works is really nice to see there's also a side struggle within doris throughout the movie in her unwillingness to change uh, we see that when her brother and his uh, wife tries to get doris to uh, move out of the house and sell all the shit that she's been hoarding for the last few years and Doris you know argues with them she doesn't want to throw away all of this stuff all the sentimental stuff that she's been saving over the years because she doesn't want to let go of that memory and uh, she talks to a therapist about that and she tries to help uh, Doris try to throw away some of her stuff but Doris's uh, sister-in-law pretty much antagonizes her to the point where Doris, you know, flips out and kicks him out of the house, ending that, you know, chapter in this story for now. And, you know, later she gets, Doris gets in an argument with her best friend, and her best friend has been overprotective, and she doesn't want Doris to, you know, pursue John, and doesn't want her to get her heart broken, you know, just she just wants her to do the same old stuff and, you know, be the same old uh, Doris that she's been. And this presents a really big struggle within her because she wants to change her life by pursuing John, but she also doesn't want to get rid of all the stuff that, you know, that has a lot of sentimental value for her. So she, she kind of struggles to accept where she wants to go moving forward. But after, uh, after, John rejects her at Thanksgiving. She you know, talks to her best friend and they, you know, make up over food. And now she, her best friend just kind of comforts Doris. She kind of realizes how much she tried to, try to push this, push this off of her. And, you know, 
at the end of the day, she just has to be there for her best friend. And no, the morning after, whenever Doris wakes up, that's when she has her epiphany that she needs to change, that she needs to move on. That's not just from John, but also from all the shit that she has in the house. So when she has that epiphany, she goes to this really nice montage. And I think it's my favorite part of the movie. It's, uh, you see Doris in, you know, one room of her house. She starts, you know, moving shit out with uh, her brother and everybody else from the movie. And the camera pans to the next room to the right. And it's, you know, sitting at a table. While I think her granddaughter's packing stuff in a box. And it slides to the next room to the right. And they're moving stuff out of one room. And they've already packed some stuff out. So they're moving boxes. And transitions back to the left. Back at that dining room table. There's a lot noticeably a lot less stuff in there and they're moving the last about the like the last amount of furniture and then the camera finally pans back to the left to the original starting point and it's just doris sitting in an empty house there, there's no more follow-up on this this is the end of her uh journey with their her house and the change so she's already decided that she's wanted to change from her daily life she's already moved stuff out of the house we assume that she's completely moved out of the house but we don't know that's when it cuts to the office where she's uh, quitting her job and then she has her final interaction with john so at the very end of the movie you don't even know where doris is going after that and i think i think it's a good idea to end it that way because we finally get to see doris you know put an end to that conflict She's already willing to accept change. She's, you know, removed shit out of her house. She's moved out. She quit her job. She apologized to John. And she's finally ready to move on and do something new in her life. And I really enjoy that ending to the movie. For the side characters, I found uh, Doris's brother and his wife. I found them to be assholes. The wife, there's really no reason, not that I found while watching the movie. She's just kind of an asshole to tie in with his, with uh, her brother's character. But his uh, brother is an ass because he moved on from the New York life a long time ago. And he wanted Doris to move on too and let his, their mother be taken care of by, uh, no, by a nursing home or something. He didn't want Doris to be stuck in, you know, New York for the rest of her life like she has now so that was their conflict and I understand where he's coming from I'm not saying that what he's saying is you know at all you know, right or anything but I can understand what I can understand his position and also with uh with Doris's best friend Roz she's like this anti you know government socialist character she she's an odd character she just she likes the thing she likes the status quo to have things stay the way they are and at first she was opposed of doris trying to pursue her younger co-worker and you know not wanting her to get heartbroken but actually when that happens she Roz realizes that the best thing she needs to do is just be there for her friend no matter you know no what choices she makes whether she agrees with them or not at the end of the day she has to support her and you know they make up on that front and then you know uh, 
Doris and her brother, they kind of make up, uh, I'm assuming, after she decided to clean house. And with that montage, we don't have, they don't have any uh, further interaction after that. So I'm just assuming that they made up. And for the other characters, the, like the office characters, they're, they're really forgettable. Now they, they have the names, they have the actors there, but like the characters themselves are kind of forgettable. They're just your, they're just the typical co-workers that ignore the old lady because they're young and new and she's been there for so long that she, now they kind of just, they, they kind of just ignore her. They're not like the best, they're not like the best characters uh, overall. They're, yeah, like I said, they're really forgettable, but the, uh, the named actors are there, so they're, if you know them, they're a really good, uh, no eye catcher, but they're, the characters themselves, they're, they're not the best. And that's the same thing goes with, uh, Peter Gallagher. I thought he was going to be in there for a little longer. No, he's just there for a hot five second, just like any of, of the other side characters. This was really just a Sally Field and Max Greenfield movie, which I'm not complaining at all. But I am a little disappointed that the side characters are really forgettable. Now, I really, really enjoy when a movie studio or their production goes out of their way to shoot scenes on location. Like, if the movie's supposed to be set in San Francisco, they'd actually, they would actually go and shoot scenes in San Francisco. Now, since this movie was set in New York, they actually went out and they were shooting f the scenes in Staten Island, New York. And I really appreciate that. I think that quality, that quality really shows whenever you're watching the movie and you really feel like you're in these, you know, districts of New York with the characters. That just adds into the viewer experience. And I will give uh, any and all movies their props and extra bonus points for shooting on location because it just makes it just makes everything feel a lot more natural. Like this is a real story that you can you now see or experience in real life. But with the rest of the movie, there's not it is not shot in a like particularly special way. There was that scene at the uh, at the end I was talking about earlier where it uh, the camera pans left and right from room to room and uh, and it shows just the progression of Doris and everybody moving everything out of her house and it ends back to the original room Doris is standing in and it's empty and you just have to assume that Doris is you know, moving out and moving on and I, I really like that that scene there's also uh, the scene at the very beginning where Doris is kind of jogging with uh, her best friend and like this and it's like this rec center it's like it's on a second level little track and they're just walking along and this jogger she comes up behind and kind of just runs in between them and she's like hey if you're gonna walk go into the walking lane and Roz gets mad at her and she starts shouting back at the lady the lady jogs away and no gives him the finger and that makes Roz really mad and she chases her around the track and it looks like the camera goes on, like it looks like the camera is being handheld as it follows uh, Roz and this lady around the track for a bit, you know, chasing her. And I really like that scene. I, it was really enjoyable. It was a nice way to start the movie. Also, when Doris is having her daydream fantasies, it, there's a smooth transition into her daydream. It kind of just starts as soon as she sees John. 
and you kind of can tell like something's not right whenever he kind of like I think they were in like the coffee room and she accidentally spills coffee on him and she's like oh my and she's like oh my god I'm so sorry and he was like no 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 stop you did this on purpose didn't you and he gets into this little weird seducing look and he like kind of like picks her up and pins her against the counter and is about to kiss her and then boom it shoots right back into real life and we see Doris looking like a fucking crackhead <laughs> in the middle of the coffee room and John's like Doris are you okay as she snaps back to reality there are the few there are the few of those little sequences they're kind of like they're kind of nice eye catchers I like the seamless transition from Doris uh, looking at John getting into her fantasy and it's snapping right back to reality that that uh, it didn't break the movie like the transitions from the movie at all it was a seamless transition to the uh, like straight into the fantasy and then it was a nice little no water in the face to come back to reality with Doris I really I actually really like how that was executed it was, it was executed very well I don't have and I don't have any complaints with any of the lighting or anything like that. It just looks like uh, how real life would look if you just got a camera and shot it. And yeah, no, I don't have many critiques about how the movie was filmed. I have my favorite scenes, but there was really nothing that all too special about it, and that's not a bad thing. And just there's not much to do for uh, this kind of movie. Before I score the movie and give out its awards, I want to touch on one last thing, and it's the the music. Now, personally, I love a good film score or soundtrack. I think it can really bring in the audience to be emotionally invested into the conflict uh, in the story at the time. But this movie doesn't need that kind of music, and I think it actually works because this is a primarily story-driven movie. Uh, no, although a story can help have the score help bring in the audience members, I don't think that movie needs that kind of help. I think the music that's in this movie just helps in the background help the uh, audience focus on the story at hand. Um, we're already emotionally invested with Doris because we see her uh, struggle with change and we see her wanting and doing her best to get with John. So we're, we're already emotionally invested at that point. We're, they're having music, like sad, eerie music to really get us into the mood whenever you know she gets heartbroken or anything. It's not necessary. I know it's there, but that's just a support for the story at hand. I don't think it's really there to act as another segue for the audience to be uh involved with the movie and i i think i think in this case i think in this case it's really fine i have nothing against the music i will say that i didn't really uh notice it that much not until like i went back and rewatched rewatched a few scenes and noticed that there is some music playing in the background so one part is on me but also i don't think the music was really there to be an extra crutch to help the audience get involved so that's my little piece on that so let's get into the awards now despite any critiques that i have in this of this movie they're really small at the end of the day i really really do enjoy this movie i think it's an excellent story i think uh 
Laura Teruso and Michael Showalter did a great job of fleshing out the story. Uh, there weren't many issues, uh, not any significant issues anyway. And to my knowledge, there aren't any big no, plot holes or anything like that that would make the story problematic. But no, it's a really nice story. It's the Doris and John have a really good relationship that gets built on naturally and nothing nothing is really forced and the ending was great i actually enjoyed the little cliffhanger it leaves some food for thought for the audience i like it when uh movies do that it's for for certain things especially a story-driven movie like this so i would have to give this movie a seven and a half out of ten now it's not the eight it can't get the golden peanut butter cup award uh, only because I think the side characters could have used a little more help um, because I know uh, a lot of those actors uh, that, that had a really good, it was a really good eye catcher for me. Uh, but for anybody else that doesn't really know them, I think those characters aren't, I don't think they're all that great. I think they're pretty forgettable. So I, if they had a little extra touch up to make them, to make them a little more memorable, then I would give them, I, I would give this movie an eight for sure. And unfortunately, this movie isn't a certified hood classic. It doesn't have that oomph for it to be loved and endeared by no, anybody of no different background. You're not going to see Jaquees Deacon Jackson Jr. watching this in his trap house in his free time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not one of those movies. But it really is. It is really good. I'd recommend it to anybody that wants to watch a good rom com. Uh, it has a nice little twist ending that I do appreciate and it has a really good there's a really good chemistry between the two main leads yeah I would definitely recommend this to anybody that wants to watch it but it's it's not a certified class yet. I can't give it that I can't give it that honor well that's the end of the episode I hope you enjoyed it and I thank you for tuning in if you want to talk to me about something I'm doing right or wrong with the podcast or recommend a movie for me to watch and review or have a conversation about a movie that I've already talked about or, or just have updates or future episodes, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Reese's Film Reviews. That's at R-H-Y-S-E Film Reviews on Twitter. And I'll say it again. That's at R-H-Y-S-E Film Reviews on Twitter. Thank you very much and have a good day.